Hello everybody, welcome. We are back. It's been probably a month or six week long hiatus, but the Steadcast is back and we are ready to keep you all entertained as this quarantine continues. So welcome if this is your first time listening. This is a regular fixture normally, but we have been on delay, as has the rest of the world, and a quick reintroduction, including a special guest today. So I'm Sam Wade. I'm the guy who helps put all the technical stuff together, and I do a bit of running when I can manage it. Kieran, do you want to say hello? And Oh, go on then. Uh, so I'm Kieran Clements. I'm the head coach of the Steadfast Runners. I do a little bit of running myself, and I'm joined by someone who I've been locked down with. Uh, she sat right next to me. <laughs> and I've had to do a little bit of convincing to get her on here, but she's a, certainly a very, what should we say, a high-profile guest on this podcast. I wouldn't podcast. say that. <laughs> I would. No. I'd definitely say it. It's a high-profile guest, our first female guest, which makes it even more high-profile. Um, what can we say about you? One of the country's best steeplechasers with a 3,000-meter steeplechase PB of 10 minutes, 16 seconds multiple-time international runner, multiple-time national medalist. It is Emily Moyes. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the Steadcast. I pulled a face throughout that whole introduction. Do not approve <laughs> of any of that. Um, but yeah, I'm Emily. Uh, hello. See, you can't... You, so see, awkward already. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, it's, I'll tell you what, you need to blame Kieran for this because you can't... Bl- normally, I'd say blow your own trumpet a little bit here and, and list off a PB or tell us about so yourself. But Kieran's actually done all of that already. So you can whack him because that first icebreaker that you well, normally... Whack me for doing my job. Well, okay. yeah, but the first icebreaker that you'd give a guest, you, <laughs> you've taken like half a dozen of the points away. Um, I'll tell, well, you, what I'll tell we... you what, we've... We've missed out her um, her 400 hurdles career. Oh, it was an that. amazing career. What did and, I even uh, run in that? I, I came second at Southern Intercounties in the 400 hurdles when I was under 20. There we go. So did a regional medalist. A levels. <laughs> you did 400 hurdles for your A-levels. Yeah, because you have to pick two... Um, you can't pick two distance events. So I had to pick... I did oh, steeplechase for the practical. And yeah, and I did 400 hurdles. So oh, there you yeah, go. I didn't know that was nice. a thing. I also came second at Easterns, but there was only two of us in the race. So not sure that counts. Hey, <laughs> do, do you know what? You, 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 could have, you, could have left, you could have left it there and it would have sounded really powerful and noble. But <laughs> following oh, up with... No. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, we've got a regional medalist in the, in the 400 hurdles. And we can even... Here we go. I mean, our usual first question is, how did you get started off in running? But... You started as a multi-eventer no, when you first started in athletics. Well, in athletics, on the track, you did. Your first start in running then. Tell us about that, and then we'll we'll make fun of you for your decathlon or heptathlon or whatever <laughs> it was career in a bit. Um, I started running when I was like, gosh, nine or ten. I actually can't remember. You know when like the timeline of your life just gets really messed up? And you can't even remember. Um, but yeah, I started at Stone Market Striders when my granddad was a coach. Um, so just little junior running club once a week. And then I think when I was like 12, I got moved up to the adults, partly because all of my buddies left. Um, so I went to the adults. And then um, when I was like 13, 14, I joined an athletics club. And I felt so much loyalty to uh, Stone Market Striders. It took me so long to leave. I kept going to West Suffolk for like weeks and weeks and weeks on end, like just for <laughs> one session and then not going back for like ages because I felt too loyal to Striders. I didn't want to leave them. Yeah, that's a weird thing that we've never really talked about on here is club loyalty. I'm sure some of our athletes feel a little bit of um, a little bit of club loyalty towards Steadfast as well. I don't know. What, <laughs> you hope what so. do you reckon, Sam? 
Yeah, I think so. And I, well, I think it depends on what kind of community you build as you go. If you're doing things right as a club or as a coach or as just a general community of people, then that level of loyalty should be stronger and it should be more difficult to make the switch. Or you shouldn't even think about making the switch. Like a switch should be more of a logistics reason than it is a kind of moral reason. Um, you know, the old phrase of people don't leave jobs, they leave managers kind of comes to mind there. People don't leave clubs, they leave, you know, a coach or they leave some other aspect, you know? Um, yeah, no, I think so. I, well, as well, I think with it being your first club, it probably makes it a little bit harder to, to move on. I mean, I was yeah. I was forcibly moved on from Ipswich Harriers to go to uni in America and I just I didn't run in the UK for five years. So I sort of just lost touch with them. But now, even though I live nowhere near Shaftesbury, I wouldn't leave Shaftesbury Barnet. Mm-hmm. Like it would take a lot for me to leave there, even though I don't have a huge amount of contact with my with the coaches there or with my teammates there. My coach is actually from your club, your current club, Oldershot. So oh, yeah, yeah, forget about that. Yeah, you <laughs> but yeah, I was going to just move on and say it, it's good. To, it's good to hear that any level of loyalty is built but building through kind of when you're starting out in a career in any sport as well it's it becomes automatic and it's only maybe you need to sort of look within yourself maybe even realize that your ability is changing as well and you need to mirror that with another change there was something that I heard once and it was it was I was do you know what it was really boring when I was in the motor trade and they were talking about sales tactics and all that boring stuff but they were talking about when Tiger Woods first won a championship and he then said, oh, no, I'm going to make this big dramatic change. And everyone went, what are you doing? You've just won this tournament, you know, one of the majors. Why would you change it now? And his whole mm. theory was if you imagine an ability and a skill level kind of in your sport is it climbs, it climbs, it climbs. And then as you get really good, it begins to plateau. And then the idea is that you're at that level and you're plateauing. If you don't, if you then change something, even though you might dip slightly to appearance, you might not win the next major eventually you can climb kind of beyond where you were in that plateau and then you'll plateau again somewhere you know a year down the line but you'll plateau at a higher level than you were before and it's that thing of changing little things each time but that will continuously grow your skill set and sometimes you need to mirror that in making a change to where you train or what you you know the equipment you train with or or, whatever your sport is it's important to recognize change as an opportunity yeah no that's an interesting i think that literally summed up my entire I was going to say, you've you've made a lot of pretty, a lot of pretty, well, not a lot, but a couple of pretty drastic changes within your career, at least to Mm -hmm. my knowledge, where you've kind of completely switched training systems and it's trained, yeah, it's trained a different aspect of the sport. Yeah, well, like, even moving from um, Striders, which, like, it's just a running club, like, they don't do any track. Um, It's all, like, road races and cross country. It's a strength-based program, Yeah, so I was, like, 12 doing, like, two-mile reps and stuff. And then I went from that to doing, like, pure speed sessions at the athletics club. And my 1500 time took a battering. I went from being an under 15, nearly breaking five minutes, to then the next year, I think I ran 5.45 in my first race back. <laughs> but then what happened after and that? And then, like, well, I don't know, how, how many years later was it? It was a couple oh, of got, years later. right here. So you went, you were 15, oh, uh, not 15. 504 that was actually 501 i did it at like a, a fun run meet before you know like the track challenge 5k mm-hmm. they have a junior 1500 so it was actually 501 but that's not para 10 official oh there's so, so. much not <laughs> official. i wish that we could go back and find you doing like the the junior fun runs from like the hadley 10 mile and stuff like that or like a 
the 1k type cross-country schools things that we used to do but oh yeah then i went 512 and then nearly broke five minutes in five flat but then that then, stuff, yeah. it all sort of caught up with you in 2015 and you exploded oh yeah i ran 442 so that was really unexpected that year i remember chasing sub five for so many years and then my first race that i did then that season i ran 454 and i was like what the heck this has been so hard to break five and it was that easy like <laughs> and then you finished the season yeah 18 seconds under five so mm. it shows um, that, I guess... yeah, that little switch kind of helped you out a little bit yeah and then i guess you can see it again when i moved to mick and to um st mary's took another chunky chunk off well as, <laughs> as we as we kind of uh, progress through your career of various clubs and various races and pbs etc i do have one question which um is can you talk to us about steeplechasing because i as somebody who enjoys running and enjoys athletics and enjoys most sport can honestly say hand on heart i don't have a scooby about the dynamics of a steeplechase <laughs> and i dare say that would be reflected in a lot of listeners i know that it's a sort of semi-long race with some hurdles in it and i know there's one big one where people get wet at the end so <laughs> oh man this sounds like you've never seen a steeplechase race in your life they're like I, the best I, races they are. Yeah, well i know I'm well, we put talk... it out there and i'm gonna say the women's steeplechase is the most interesting event in track and field at the moment well it is, it is. It is. yeah there it. <laughs> that's been backed up obviously we talked about it in our great races pod so we did we I've, I've i'm sort of paraphrasing i'm deliberately dumbing it down myself if that makes sense but i want to, <laughs> i want to know i want to know a little bit because i feel like there's going to be a lot of people that don't understand the steeplechase to the same degree that i don't understand it so maybe talk to us about kind of where you tried the event and then what made you go actually i think this is something that i can pursue a little bit more seriously um, and then maybe just a couple of things that make it a unique race compared to say a five thousand meter which everybody has a comparison with nowadays with parkrun etc yeah it's in fact you're not alone whenever i say to anyone that like oh i ran for great britain they're always like oh in what and i'm like have you heard of the steeplechase and like 90 percent of the time they have never heard of it and they're like oh is that horse riding i'm like no honey <laughs> it's not um so yeah they do yeah, you say you've ran and then they ask yeah, if it's in hood do they assume that you're a horse i don't know to be honest <laughs> Okay, I guess, should we start off with just outline? Tell us what is the steeplechase? The steeplechase is dubbed the Olympic obstacle course. Um, so in 3,000 metre steeplechase, you have 35 obstacles, per se, and um, seven, no, is it seven of them? God, I don't even know what I do. Six of them uh, are water jumps? <laughs> I, I, I should know. know as well. I, I feel like it's six water jumps. Because you I, skip it the first lap. Yeah. No, maybe it's seven. Wow, we should. We, we don't should even really know. know no, I think it's six. Yeah, yeah good job. I'm not your coach. <laughs> um, every full lap, you have a water jump, and you have four other barriers. And unlike hurdles, obviously, the hurdles fall down if you hit them. If you hit a steeple barrier, yeah, you are going down. It hurts. And it hurts. <laughs> it hurts I have seen so much. I have seen. I've seen steeple barriers when I've been at the tracks, and they're chunky old things. They're like a best way I could describe it is almost like a railway sleeper, isn't it? It's, big block of wood mm-hmm. of metal it's like a make you, out well of, you yeah. know in really old houses they have beams running across the <laughs> roof it's basically like one of those things yeah, yeah. is it set to the same is it set to the same height as a normal hurdler is it taller or shallower um so the girls is set to i'm gonna say probably the wrong number now i think it's like it's 72 centimeters i think which is the same height as isn't it it's a minimum hurdle plus one 
yeah so it's the same height as under seven or under 20 hurdles if don't, not don't look it's at me not the same as senior <laughs> hurdles no it's a bit lower mm. um and yeah the men's is six inches the men's barrier is six inches higher than the women's barrier which don't even get me on that debate because i thought that i thought the reason for that is the average height yeah, that was the difference in average height but no, no, I don't equality know. women should no stop it <laughs> well no women should definitely not well, yeah, no. What do you think about that? Should women hurdle the same height no, as men? No, on average six inches <laughs> shorter. shorter. Yeah, so... ridiculous. Well, we saw the chaos in that Diamond League race where literally just one barrier was set to the men's oh height for gosh. one lap. And half the field... No, it wasn't one lap. It was then was it wonky two three for laps? three laps. Oh, yeah, yeah, The first it was. Day, it was wonky. And those were the best steeplechases in the world in the Diamond League. And they all... Yeah. Like, it caused absolute carnage. Well, when it's, like, muscle memory and you're not expecting it to be higher, like, yeah. your body automatically... You don't judge the height every time you go up to it. Yeah. That is my worst fear in a league match, though. When Oh, is if they get it wrong. I always ask every every time. I'm like, have you checked them? Like, double check. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so they do 3K, 2K, and 1,500 steeple. Um, it varies depending on, like, age groups and stuff. It's always changing and can never really keep track of what everyone's doing, to be honest. Yeah. Well, 3,000 is the international distance, yeah. isn't it? That's the one that you see at the Olympics. Juniors do 2K, I think. Oh, and oh, like no, juniors. At youth, under 18s, they do oh. 2K. Um, yeah, the water jump is what, slanted. So the further you get into the pit, then the le- like less water you actually have to deal with. So yeah. well, the one thing that's always struck me seeing the pit at the so when I've been down to the track, I've never seen it full. I've only ever seen it um, sort of emptied with the hurdle in front of it, and the distance mm-hmm. between if you say you really fluff to the jump, you've got the top of that hurdle to the bottom of that pit. It's really long way. Like I would hate to fluff that and end up falling into it because that's going to hurt. Yeah, but you're not a proper steeplechaser until you're falling in. <laughs> I've never seen you fall in badly. I'm not in a Have race, you... but in no, training. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I imagine well, that actually... if you're, I was just going to say if you're if you're bunched if you're bunched up in a group, let's say you, you know you got half a dozen of you all going around in a race, and one person falls, if you've got somebody behind you coming in with track spikes on, they're gonna potentially they're gonna stand on you. That must really really hurt if you get it wrong. If you get yeah, really unlucky. I, ugh, honestly, like. When I ran at Euro Juniors, that was like the my biggest fear because there are so many people there. And in the UK, like the steeple scene isn't that big, and a lot of the time we're just time trialing like league races and stuff, and then we come together at like a nationals. So we don't often like race in big groups. So then going like to an international and there's like fifteen girls there, that was like the scariest thing because yeah, if someone falls. Once you're in the air, you ain't got no decision but to land on them. <laughs> <laughs> you can apologize. You, you can apologize later. You just need to be merciless in the moment. <laughs> Literally, one hundred percent. How did you adapt then to them running in the pack? I went really wide. Went Honestly, wide. there's pictures, and I'm like lane three hurdling. <laughs> yeah, but I think I mean I think that was a good decision. I think with the steeplechase, negotiating the barriers, even if you have to run a little bit wider or a little bit harder or a little bit of extra distance, mm. I think it's more important to not to not waste energy on stuttering into the barrier or you know just being nervous about it having that nervous energy and then you're running tense we both know how much of a difference it makes just being tense versus relaxed in a race yeah no absolutely um but i got into it um with my with west suffolk when i went for like a couple of nights the coach there david cripps he like he loves steeplechase and he really wanted to get a steeplechase group together and like before i actually joined 
I did jump a couple of barriers when I was there and was like, oh, this is fun. But like, honestly, the only reason I started doing steeplechase training was because I wanted to get out of running. Uh, you wanted to get out of running, <laughs> out of so you running. chose the hardest event in running. No, but what we do at training is if you were doing the steeplechase session, you got to do a shorter session uh, and then you could go and do you could go jump around. And I've got my best mate there. And we're just like, yeah, let's go and play in the water and go do some hurdles while everyone else is doing a session. Like, I'm only there to see my friend. So, I mean, if you wanted to go and play in the water at Berry Track, all you had to do is go to the inside lane. <laughs> it is wet there a lot. I mean, you've Berry made... Track, notoriously flooded for <laughs> listeners that have never been there before. <laughs> you've made it sound there like it's some sort of holiday paddling pool kind of scenario. But I imagine that, that the novelty of that wears off when the, you have your first fall and you go, Oh God, I'm in too deep here. Literally in too, too deep now that I've committed to my steeplechase training and now I'm battered and bruised because I've just fallen over a huge barrier into a pit. To be fair, I didn't fall in until um, like a few years after I started. I had my first fall probably when I like got better at steeple. Actually, I got too um, complacent and because when you do the water jump you stand on top of the barrier and you know when you're running up the stairs and you think there's like an extra step there and there isn't and you essentially did that i thought the barrier was going to be there and it wasn't and i went to step i jumped too far oh i'd like i yeah i got like taken off too hard went to stand on the barrier and there was no barrier there and i just fell in Actually, and then just laid there and my coach was like run was this... <laughs> sorry just screaming down Ooh, the mic yeah r.i.p <laughs> headphone users was that was that in a race or was that in training yeah, it was just in training but he was oh, like if okay. you fall in a race you gotta get up and go and i'm like Harsh just guy. lying on the floor like <laughs> you get up and there's a bone sticking <laughs> yeah. out and he's just like run crippled and, bro- the crippled and broken the water yeah. breaks your fall <laughs> the water does break your fall quite a lot in steeple case, i have so i not... tried it without the water once we just put a mat there oh don't do that that sounds terrifying <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a bad sounds, idea sounds like a jarring experience literally broken ankle waiting to happen Ooh. Just, a, uh, just another interesting. Just, go on. All I was going to say is just another question. Whilst we're on the subject of the barriers, so like you say, in hurdles like a hundred ten meter hurdles or hundred meter hurdles, they just fall over. These things are rock solid. You mentioned that you put your foot on it to launch yourself over the water jump. If you put your mm-hmm. foot on it, or if you touch the other barrier on the just on the normal track part, is that a disqualification or anything? Is there, there no? Rules around you can them? literally you can get over it however you want yeah it's super annoying in like league races when people are just doing it for points and there's like older women just literally lying over the barrier trying to get over it and you're like <laughs> coming up trying to hurdle right yeah no i've seen some absolute car crashes of uh hurdling technique from people literally just putting their hands on it and just climbing yeah over. just like vaulting over yeah. <laughs> well i imagine i imagine you know when you're doing your exams in school and you start off when you uh, first open your paper and your handwriting's really neat and then as you get sort of towards the end and they say five minutes left, it just turns into a massive scribble. I imagine that in some <laughs> races, depending on how much energy you've poured into it and how much you're going for it, it's like your technique for your hurdle might start out perfect on the first couple, but by the last one, if you're really having a rough time, you just got to limp over it and get to the finish line. Yeah, no, that's definitely happened before. I've seen, I've seen that happen with a lot of kind of more in the nicest way possible amateur kind of runners but i would say i'm going to ask you this because i've heard it from a couple of other steeplechasers at around about the same kind of international type level is you run a steeple at least from what i've heard in a slightly different tactical way in terms of basing strategy than you would a 5k or Mm -hmm. a 10k or any other distance race where 
you can be kind of you can be pretty much dead on your feet coming into the last lap and you'll still be all right in a distance race you'll still be able to finish it off but am i right in thinking the steeple you kind of always have to keep that little extra bit all the way up until like kind of that literally that last barrier you have to have in the back of your mind like i've got something to get over here you can't overexert yourself yeah no that's that's definitely right and i think it's like it's not something that you just like do it's something that's like subconsciously learned from mm-hmm. doing like more steeples um you know i think that is actually why like on the flat i'm not gonna blow my own trumpet but <laughs> i occasionally have an okay last lap because i'm used to doing steeple and used to needing like the energy at the last lap to just get over the barriers so then i find myself on the last lap like wait <laughs> so you're... To hurdle. yeah yeah that's true I, I can use this energy maybe you subconsciously conserve a little bit more as well because you're mm. used to the steeple being your main event you're used to needing to have a little bit of something extra but then yeah like you say you realize oh, i've got nothing else to jump over i've only got 300 400 meters to go let's just yeah rip it but yeah. i always that last 150 from where the steep last water jump is because in steeple like that last water jump is hard and if you get it wrong you can lose so much time like if you jump into that two-footed in the deep end like girls are coming for you behind yeah but like in a flat race that like 150 steeplechase mark is still like my mark to like go crazy as much as i can go crazy crazy. yeah i honestly don't know who would win in the last if we're both carrying the same level of fatigue and there's 50 (laughs) meters to go in a race i don't know who would win yeah oh wow okay i must must admit through through knowing you kieran and knowing how fastidious you train and your kind of discipline for the what i'd call the classic events i really really want to see you just have some level of adjustment like you and i have obviously talked about doing the obstacle course races like the tough mudders and things like that mm. and then changing up your discipline discipline slightly in, in in the terms of like a steeple chase or something i just love to just mess with you a little bit and just kind of I would see, love to see i would you know, be maybe absolutely we can, me watching me running a steeple chase would be an absolute disaster i would <laughs> wager i probably wouldn't break 10 minutes like, I think it would probably be a close race between the two of us and the steeple. I'd go out way too hard. I'd probably step each and every barrier. And the last lap would just be like watching somebody crawl through trees. I mean, I'd give you a lesson in steeple fat. I wouldn't listen. No, it'd be <laughs> terrible. What, what have we already said? We've already said be merciless and worry about it later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh dear. Well, I'll tell you what, we've, I feel like we've got a pretty good summary of steeplechasing there and the, um, I was going to say the pitfalls of if you get it wrong, but that sounds like too much of a cheesy pun. I've got two really cheesy puns in there, haven't I? <laughs> You've done well. We're doing well on the puns today. We are doing well. Um, so just want to kind of talk obviously a little bit about your progress again. So, so far we've kind of seen you go from like a junior standpoint, moving through your first couple of clubs, finding your footing in the steeplechasers as your event that you can really perform at what's kind of next that's brought you up to now maybe through university or through kind of a, a more senior route into into your sport i'm not a senior yet i'll point out still okay. an under 23 hanging yeah. on there we right, go for there a you go corrected yeah. <laughs> corona's ruining my last like under 23 season so heartbreaking it's a fake age group anyway Ugh, a fake age group um, there we go <laughs> <laughs> oh i will also add that um i only did steeple like when i was younger like under 17 to actually go to nationals and stuff because the... to get to english schools no not to english schools because they didn't have it for intergirls when i oh. was i had to go for the 800 in that got absolutely <laughs> ruined um in the heat <laughs> 
<laughs> at least time. you got there. A lot of people don't get to English schools. I didn't run the time, though, so it was a bit of a fake one. But... <laughs> <laughs> at least you came from a small enough county to make it. Literally. Um, yeah, no, I only ever did steeple to go to nationals because the, the, the qualifying time was so much slower. Like, it was just really achievable. So that was what got me into doing it because it could, like, actually let me gain experience whereas my like actual ability wasn't matching uh the experiences that i got but just slowly that's, catching up i think um, that's yeah I, th- I was gonna say i think that's fair to say that on the women's side because it's such a new event the steeple can allow you to gain experience at a level that you may not be able to do yeah. on the flat for for a few runners but for a lot of people it does end up actually once you reach that elite level at the steeplechase it does actually end up being a pathway to you then achieving elite status on in other disciplines. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how you managed to do that because you're actually a really prime example of you started off in the steeplechase, you got pretty good at that on like a national level, you were winning nationals, you went to an international competition. I actually didn't win nationals until I was under 20, I think. Yeah, to qualify for Euros. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. You won a national uh, competition, then you went to an international competition. Yeah, true. And then the same two things then followed in the flat event. You won mm-hmm. a nationals in the flat event and you went to international competition in cross country. Yeah. So when I obviously my club um, in Suffolk, West Suffolk, we um we did so much steeple training all the time. And I kind of knew going to uni and like not having my steeplechase coach there that things might be different. But I definitely wanted to focus on like getting my flat speed improved and just like my strength improved which mick woods is perfect for yeah i mean Come you to want to train for endurance yeah. <laughs> um yeah so no i i started getting a bit better on the flat um but i think i came sick for south of england champs when the time before that i did it i came 86 or something cross crazy in cross country yeah so that was like crazy for me i had no idea what was coming and then yeah, I don't really know how anything got... I think I just started running. That's whenever people ask, how did how did you get better? I'm like, you I actually started, started training. Running actual mileage. Because before, I just went to the club, like, three times a week, did the session, and then went home. I didn't really do any running outside of it. I didn't really know jogging was a thing, and that steady runs was a thing. And then, yeah. so yeah, started training properly. I've forgotten the question now. What are we talking about? Well, well, Kieran, was, Kieran, well Kieran sort of hijacked my question a little bit. Yeah, my, my, my question. I did. Well, I think we were both kind of thinking along the same lines of basically how did you develop from a decent, like, decently competitive high school and like stick form type athlete into then going to uni and kind of exploding onto the national scene and becoming, you know, one of the best distance runners. I don't like, think around. I am. So. Oh, and humble as well. <laughs> Um, honestly, I don't actually know because every everything I've done since starting uni has been like a complete shock to me. Like I only do, I only started running because like I liked it and I like seeing my friends and it's fun. And I've always, since I was like, since I was 10, I've always set like little realistic goals that I can achieve, but then also had like crazy goals which I never thought I'd achieve ever since I was like started steeple I've always been like yeah I'm gonna go to like Euro Juniors I'm gonna go to World Juniors I'm gonna go to World Youths like and all that shit I never really thought I'd actually do it so yeah when I made um 
the Euro Junior team. That was like crazy for me. And that was in your That was in my year. first year at St Mary's, yeah. Honestly, that whole year is just, I don't even know how to explain it. I think there was one week at uni. I went, I, I won bucks on like the Monday and then went and took like 20 seconds off my 1500 PB on the Wednesday. And I was like, what is happening? How has, how has Mick Woods done this to my legs? How has he made them so fast? So yeah, if, <laughs> seriously, if you ever wanted to, if you ever wanted a prime example of why just strength training works in endurance running why mileage and why strength from strength is better than strength from speed i think that this is this is it but i think that you did so well because you'd spent those years as a junior developing your technique on the barriers and and developing your speed on the 1500 i still haven't like rep pbs from when i was like at West Suffolk like they are still my rep PBs today yeah like I've not touched close to any of those times I was gonna say and some of those repetition PBs that you ran are pretty close to what you ran in actual races I'm looking at the 400 here your 400 PB is a (laughs) 60.5 I think you said to me like 61 is your best you've done in training so yeah shout out Holly we dragged our asses around that session that was a hard one around a 61 yeah we were pretty shocked. I think it was like a 61 high, but oh. still, we're going to take it. Either way, well, any <laughs> session that includes a near 400 meter PB, you're going to have to drag your ass around the rest of it. So, um, Yeah, no, I think going to St. Mary's, like, I've always wanted to, like, be an athlete and do it, like, full time. And going to St. Mary's really just let me do that. And because we, we have athlete accommodation there. So we were just much to everyone's annoyance actually there was always comments about how we were always only talking about running and horse which is a fair <laughs> comment we probably were um but yeah no we would just eat sleep breathe running it was great yeah. plus you did a little bit of studying plus oh yeah i got a degree out of it forget about that <laughs> part whenever i used to come home dad'd be like how is uni and i'd be like oh yeah training's going really well He's like no write your degree you're, <laughs> you're actually there to study so you think a good amount of the improvements could be just basically you had a nice little three-year training camp <laughs> essentially yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we're going back just had some knowledge shoehorned in when you could i didn't catch sorry that. Uh, did yeah say? no sorry just saying you just had some knowledge shoehorned in when you could <laughs> oh yeah i'm no, trying really good. hard not to make any jokes about st mary's right now. oh we've heard it all but whatever still beat everyone else at bucks every year don't we (laughs) that's gonna make some people turn off this podcast we're always we love a debate here if you think (laughs) that st mary's don't being don't beat everybody at bucks in the distance events tell us who does yeah i i like (laughs) to to see wave 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 the red flag to the bull a little bit and antagonize and see if we can get any kind of yeah fearsome fearsome listeners from from any other rival schools clubs or unis (laughs) (laughs) exactly and well yeah not going to not going to school in the uk as well going and going over to america for me i find it hilarious like the rivalries and stuff (laughs) where it's like these guys these are people that you're likely going to end up if you're at the top level on an international team with for example at some point and it's like oh wait yeah I hated you like a couple of months ago at Bucks, but now now you're my teammate. Oh, it's got it's got bad though. It used to just be like when I was in my first year, the the drama was like only at Bucks Cross. Like yeah, you'd like be shouting at people's faces like in the race, calling them all sorts. <laughs> Won't repeat some of the stuff that I've had shouted at me. Or, no, that's not. Or I shouted... You'll get you'll get us deleted off of Apple Music. <laughs> um. 
but yeah, now it, I feel like it's turning more into the after party too. There's still there's still dramas there. Talk about the Bucks after party then, because that's that's one thing. That's probably my biggest regret of not going to uni in the UK is missing Bucks after party. The Bucks after party is carnage. That is the only way I can describe it. Like Bucks, just day in itself is ridiculous. And bearing in mind, like you're at a cross country, no one ever eats enough at a cross country, do they? And then you're you feel, just... yeah, no, you feel yourself for the race, and that's about and, it. yeah. Then you well with Bucks, like because it is such team spirit. You, you end up just running around for the rest of the day after your team, just screaming, like, there's no time to eat. And then you're going back to your hotel and everyone's drinking already. And, yeah, you have to drinking play, on an empty stomach. You have to play the work. dangerous game that is catch-up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I always play catch-up because it takes me way too long to get ready <laughs> every time. Good job. So I'm always playing catch-up. Well, that, yeah, I, I can vouch for that. It does take uh, forever to get ready. But I mean, Sam, you experienced an NCAA's uh, Nationals party, so you kind of, we both kind of know what that scene of it is like. I think it's probably pretty similar. Mm, well, well, the I way mean... the way that you can justify all things, especially if they're massive end of season parties, is if you've worked your ass off to get there and you've run PBs and run races, especially if you've run them right up to like the maybe the day of the party or something like that. Like you say. Mm. You've earned, you've earned a beer. Just 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 jump on it and just go for it. You've earned a beer. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Do you know what? Actually, this only just popped into my mind, but I would compare it to like the office Christmas party. Like, there's always <laughs> there's always drama at office Christmas parties. There's always one idiot like somebody drinks too much or like slags <laughs> off the boss to their face or like yeah, somebody hits on the boss's wife, something like that. Honestly. Well, but, we, yeah. we, we shouldn't. <laughs> I think it's important to encourage sporting pedigree, though, and say to any any potential steeplechasers, distance runners, or anybody who just enjoys listening to this podcast, is that it's not just a massive booze up if you go to uni and start <laughs> and start actually trying oh, to no, train to be not. good. Well, <laughs> no, it's a training camp followed by a race, followed by a booze, <laughs> followed by <laughs> celebratory no, beers at the end. Really everything big. in moderation. I have a huge believer in everything in moderation, and I think it coming from like an international athlete like yourself that like you can go out and you can drink and you can have yeah, fun, like just like... have fun but also train hard like it's it's not either or basically no exactly but obviously it is in moderation i see some unis and they're like out every week and then they're like well we got the results like that we wanted I... but yeah i'd well, say it's some groups go... from some unis mm. I, no you definitely can't get the results you can't go out every week. single week but also it's not as fun when you act well okay maybe it is I don't know (laughs) but I always felt like at St Mary's we had huge night outs after like very certain races so after the European trials at Liverpool like there's always a big night out after that and then also Bucks and I felt like they were just so much more fun because everyone was there rather than like a random weekday night out I don't know yeah no that's that's true (laughs) so you've got I mean you've got the whole and it's a reward because everyone has been grafting so hard it's nice to yeah, there is a good amount of teamwork, it seems like, there at St. Mary's mm-hmm. as well, kind of, like I say, similar to an NCAA-type system. But you did end up going to the NCAA for a very, very brief period mm-hmm. of time. <laughs> we, <laughs> do you want to talk about it? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, so tell us where you went. Tell us how it was. <laughs> I've been so quiet about this for so long. Yeah, like, this is the exposé. Like, never said anything like yeah, I always, it happens i know well i don't pretend it didn't happen so yeah i went to boise state university um it's in idaho 
and it's like probably one of the only things in Idaho. It's such a boring. Yeah, just about. I mean, I I went out and visited, and this Idaho isn't okay. Boise. I mean, it's it's an okay city. Like, there's it's got everything you need. It's got a few things going on that are like mm. kind of extracurricular fun. But yeah, I mean, it's vastly different to what my experience in the NCAA was in New York and New Rochelle. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like the training system just maybe didn't quite fit and what? being away from home was obviously quite hard. So talk about, we'll talk about the struggles and then we'll talk about some of the good things that you got mm-hmm. out of it as well after that. Because it wasn't all bad and we don't want to put people off the NCAA because I'm a huge advocate for the NCAA myself. Well, I wouldn't want to put people off for you either. It just like, no. didn't work for me. So to make it clear, the reasons that I decided to go, because I feel like some people will be like, it was working well at St. Mary's, like under Mick. Like, why did you even choose to go anyway? But like, like I said before, I've always wanted to live like an athlete. And I've always wanted to be like a full-time athlete. And it was like hard in Twickenham because obviously, well, yeah, because it's in London. It's an it expensive, expensive place to live on a student budget as an athlete. Yeah. yeah. So what my thoughts were is if I go to America I can fully just focus on studying and running and that'd be it and everything because I was on a full ride scholarship so I was like everything else is going to be dealt with like I won't have to take up a job because at St Mary's I had um, a nannying job as well not it wasn't exactly like hard to fit everything in but there were times that I was super stressed out about it like literally coming straight back from I think you found yourself just at times just wanting a little bit more time to either chill out or to just focus fully on recovery. Oh, yeah, because like I was my first semester, I was like not at, at St. Mary's for my final year. I was actually going from training to lectures, then straight to work. Like, where can you do yeah, anything else? You're out of the house from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. Or not 9 a.m., we train at half 10. Oh. <laughs> Got to sleep um, in after those big nights out. Yeah, no, so basically <laughs> at Boise, I was just really struggling with uh, money for a start. Like my rent check that I was like getting, because they, they take away tax, which I think is a big thing. If people go to America, they definitely need to Look understand the tax system and how they are going to be taxed. Which differs from state to state. Because yeah. I was in New York and I never got taxed on my rent check. And I don't think that it's a new thing that they've brought in. Mm. So. So yeah, I didn't have that much left over once um, once rent was taken out, and I kind of like just had enough to like feed myself. And obviously, like when you're at uni, you want to like, especially when you're trying to form more friend like new friendships, and they're going out to dinner and stuff, and like you literally don't have the money to go. It's a bit like eh. so. It was getting to the point where I was like, I'm gonna have to if I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna have to get a job. But I was also trying to adapt to the American, like, schooling system, which is really different to the UK. Vastly different. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, try and adapt to their new expectations. And, yeah, I was literally just, I just got to the point where I was like, I have no money. <laughs> I'm, like, literally just going to class and to training and doing work outside of class. And, like, that's literally it. And like, if I don't know how I'd fit a job on top of this. And also I came here to just focus on running and studying. So if I'm going to have a job, then I should have just stayed 
in the perfect place that I was in yeah. and not left in the first place. That's a really that's, that's a really interesting parallel to draw from it, actually, to, to say that you're no better off, but all of a sudden you're like, what, 5,000 miles away from home and it just adds in massive limitations no, exactly. in speaking well, to family and obviously being able to see see people if, if you need to and things like that it does it does i was going to say you were probably element. wasting a good couple of hours a day on facetime to me as well oh which probably God. didn't help with being able to get stuff done whereas when you're at teddington i could just come and just stay with you for a week or two or yeah. months on end as it sometimes <laughs> ended up being um, it's just yeah it's just harder being having all of that stuff is you can deal with it at home but when you're suddenly away from your family and you've got all of these you've got a new training system to adapt to Mm -hmm. a new schooling system to adapt to which isn't really spoken about too much from people that do go out to the NCAA postgrad but the American system at university is a lot more it's a heavier volume of work yeah but it's perhaps not quite as so yeah that's the only thing I can yeah if anyone is thinking of going to America like postgrad um you will essentially just do your undergraduate degree again um that's all I could say is but it will take longer (laughs) like the um I was writing my thesis proposal and my dissertation in the UK was 4,000 words and then I think it came to like 30 something pages um yeah my thesis proposal in America was like 40 pages long and that was just the proposal that wasn't even the thesis (laughs) so yeah, it just takes everything takes it's longer. Just a, it's just a huge <laughs> volume of work, which undergrad isn't so bad because, as well, I think you had to get used to the concept of homework again because you hadn't had that for oh, three, well, four I mean, years going into it. Doing it. Yeah, well, yeah, you didn't have to do it. You didn't have to go to lectures like some. I mean, a lot of universities in the US have a mandatory lit, um, mandatory attendance policy for yeah. lectures, which. Going out there undergrad when you're 18 and you're pretty much used to all of that stuff. I mean, for me personally, it was a really easy transition because it was all I'd ever known. But having that gap and that freedom and then going out there and suddenly not having quite so much freedom and having really regimented practice and things like that. Like, let's, I think people are tuning in to hear about running. So we'll try and talk as about academics as little as possible. But talk about like kind of the training structure and philosophy and how different that was in the US versus the UK. Um, yeah, so at St. Mary's, I'd been used to running like, I don't know, like 50 to 60 miles a week if I was being good. If you're lucky. <laughs> Sometimes I didn't hit that. <laughs> but yeah, three like hard sessions a week. Um, yeah, and they'd always, yeah, they're always longer than race distance. And obviously in the UK, you're running like, what, six to eight K for cross country. But in America, it's 6k sometimes even 5k for the early season meets um yeah so I went from doing three hard sessions a week and then like not running my easy runs hard but they're definitely like a steady pace yeah you I would say you ran more steady than easy runs yeah because you were on that lower mileage and you had a day off every week as Mm -hmm. well you had a rest day every week um yeah and then in America well not in America but at Boise they really do like to do their easy runs easy they really like to encourage everyone to recover properly um but we didn't do as many sessions a week so to begin with we were only doing probably one session a week um and then at the end of our long runs we were doing like a a tempo feel we we do our long runs at altitude so it's about six thousand feet and obviously at the end of like 
a 90 minute long run like you can't just bash out a tempo yeah tempo. <laughs> so we, i was then doing my tempo feel section like what i used to just do my long runs at yeah home. suddenly it turns yeah <laughs> like 5 30 effort becomes like 6 20 it wasn't even that i think it was slower <laughs> yeah well, i mean you're, yeah six thousand feet on what looks to me from what i saw of it not really great oh, no, it was great fast. for that really yeah no the, okay. the the round the mountain loop was like that was pretty sketchy like someone fell over every week which was always <laughs> kind of funny um yeah but no where you did the tempos that was like wide cushioned floor cushioned That's floor not so bad cushioned cushioned floor. Floor. <laughs> um like cinders type of thing yeah like gravel yeah mm-hmm. right. that was really nice it's like the good old days at vcp um yeah and then with by the time we got into like racing season we were doing like a tempo on friday but it was like it was a bit shorter than what i was doing at home our tuesday sessions would also be just race distance a lot of the time so we'd only do like 6k of hard running which i wasn't really used to i was used to doing like a lot longer under mixed training and Um, also like you guys you'd sometimes get moving at the end but it was a lot of it was very very controlled and very mm-hmm. regimented and there was it seemed like it was it was just very strict that you had to stick to that pace or slower it wasn't that pace or faster yeah but i don't think that was from like the coaches per se i think it was more the group dynamic mm-hmm. that affected it which is obviously like a, i came from obviously being at St. Mary's for three years and like like as you get as you're in a group for a long time you kind of like establish your place at the beginning and then you kind of move through don't you and I was then entering this team as an older student but being treated like a freshman so treated like I felt like I was just going back to square one again and I just had like no authority within the group and no one really respected me as a runner I mm-hmm. felt like that sounds really rude did you but... well did you feel like you needed to prove yourself or did you feel almost like if you tried to prove yourself you were almost kind of i'm not sure what the right way to phrase it is but to to jump in i think the way that you kind of mean is that if you try and put your foot down too hard it almost makes you come across as insecure and then that you know almost almost as if you're undeserving to a degree because you're having to say like oh no look i can do this and that almost forcibly proving yourself i think that's actually i think you've nailed it Mm -hmm. you've nailed it with the word insecure there Mm -hmm. i think the word wanting to push in training in a lot of systems in the states is labeled and it's kind of framed as insecurity and it's framed as being disrespectful towards your teammates whereas i think in your case like you just it's not what you were used to it's not what you wanted to do it's Mm -hmm. not what was tried and tested and you did end up like you actually bought into their system really well considering how different of a system it was yeah I mean I wasn't I was there because I wanted also like obviously I did want to try something new like you were saying about the plateau earlier on like I hadn't like I'd kind of stagnated in the steeple but I think that was more my fault than anything else like just I would say that's the fault of not getting into the right races but that's another (laughs) topic um yeah and obviously I really wanted to go out there they had well three-time um NCAA champion was is from Boise. I mean, they've, the they've had some so, very, very like high quality runners have come through that yeah. system before. Um, so I kind of went out more for the steeple, but obviously, at, at, um, in America, cross country is big. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a big team thing. And going there and being an individual thing in the UK, 
to then it being like all about the team was so different. And it is it is really all about the team for cross country Mm -hmm. in America. And I mean, we've talked a lot about training. Let's talk about the racing out there because you wrote an article on our website about (laughs) a blog post on our website about how different cross country is in the states versus in the UK. So just yeah, give us a little a quick overview, and I can chime in a little bit as well on yeah what NCAA cross country racing is like versus UK cross country racing because I don't know about you, but in five years there. I probably only saw mud in about three races oh my god it was so hard like the hardest <laughs> i our first race that we did was um the bill dellinger invitational and that was in oregon and oh my god the hardest thing i've ever done it was like pancake flat the course around a golf course three three laps i think three two laps something like that yeah. oh my gosh i felt like we sprinted when the gun started and i never stopped <laughs> like oh it was so difficult i like i don't even have words to put it like it's so fast at the start and because like in uk cross country like not like not everyone's doing the same training no not everyone is running like 70 miles a week not everyone is running every day but there every single athlete that is on that start line is in the team and like is in a team and they're going to be training like every day and they're all doing fairly similar programs yeah, there is most, no weak links. <laughs> most american programs are just sort of a modified daniel system and so you're all doing like you're all of about the same ability doing about the same training and it just has this effect of everyone is so tightly matched, so closely matched. Like, it's just brutal. Yeah, I, it's just savage from I start to finish. I honestly don't think the racers have tactics. I honestly think they just sprint from the start so and it never stops. <laughs> this is where you and I had a weirdly different NCAA experience. Because I was I went, I was in the NCAA in the Ed Cheserick, Justin Knight type of era, where those two had such unstoppable finishes but you also couldn't run away from them. They were able to kind of command the race. And I actually ran in a couple of like quite tactical cross country races. My best one, the best cross country race I near the front. I was very far back, (laughs) very different mid pack. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. I mean, I had a couple of seasons where I was not in like amazing shape and it is the the more in the more towards the middle you are in an (laughs) NCAA pack. And Unfortunately for you, you were always in that kind of 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s type of range yeah. where it's super tight. The closer you are to there, the more absolutely savage it is. And I only ever experienced that at Nationals, which is probably why I always ran badly at NCAA Nationals. But the Wisconsin invite, I mean, we I think it was 2016 or 17 where we like just jogged through like 6K <laughs> and then all of a sudden just started sprinting just sprinted 2k i think it was sam parsons who now runs for tim man elite just took off at 6k and i guess pre nats was kind of like that yeah i think pre nats and Wisco just seemed to be i could see the camera it was great and then i (laughs) couldn't see anywhere near the front (laughs) very quickly yeah it's tough it is tough in the NCAAs. um how do you think about the the biggest thing for me the biggest difference is the courses the depth and I think the atmosphere at cross country in NCAA's is like absolutely nothing else over here. I think NCAA what? nationals. I think the atmosphere from the crowd and stuff is insane at Terre Haute. I mean, again, you're putting near the front. You don't get that mid pack. <laughs> no, do. I felt. Oh, I guess like you said, Iona sometimes traveled. Like the other people from the team were there. Mm. My national experience, yeah, was not the same as that. Like I enjoyed the race, and it was like deafening tears the whole way but like none of it i knew none of it was for me like my 
I wasn't a scorer on the team either, so I think I probably heard. Um, well, we had three coaches, so I heard one of them a few times. So yeah. do you think you were kind of in like the worst position you could have been? Like it would have been more fun to have either been a spectator or at the front. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but honestly, like I, I was so happy that I was able to run at nationals because mm-hmm. probably wasn't warranted. Um, <laughs> so well, I, I think it was okay. Um, but, you know, it was very, it was very different because yeah, the boys were obviously getting ready to race, so. They weren't really. It was. Oh, yeah, being... I'm running a box where people are like literally screaming in your face and slapping people, telling them to move up the field to then like literally not. Yeah, if you slap someone at NCAA, you're getting deep. Yeah, like I. Just... But then, yeah. I don't know. For me, it's <laughs> for me the NCAA cross country is second second only to World Cross in terms of atmosphere, in terms of depth of talent in terms of just talent ours was yeah. a miserable day though it was horrible it was rainy and wet and cold yeah, it did look pretty grim <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna lie the last two ncaa's in a row i've not really been too sorry that i've missed them oh the funny thing was though they were like saying about the mud and everything and then it wasn't even like that muddy i think i put like 15 mil spikes in because everyone was gassing about how muddy it was and like after <laughs> running at parliament hill and everyone's like it's so muddy like you know it's muddy yeah oh. but there it like <laughs> it was muddy i'll give them that but they preserved it so well like the whole time that pre-meet was on they literally had like taped off, the yes there, yeah. taped off the corners so the corners weren't even muddy hmm. yeah it's not quite it's not quite english cross country where i mean if you step in the wrong bit you're suddenly shin deep <laughs> in mud anymore. yeah your shoe gets suctioned <laughs> off and you have to scramble around looking for it or you have to finish the race in one foot or you have to do an adam hickey and just sit on a bench in the middle of the nationals and put your shoe back on but yeah, there we go. Okay, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on the end of Lacrosse. <laughs> well, all, all I was going to say, and I, I think we should move on because I'm conscious this has just turned into you guys having a chin wag about who's been more. It American, is, yeah. No, we've got a little bit carried away. Who's here. been more American? <laughs> Apologies. Um, <laughs> no, no, you're good. Um, well, what I was going to say is, and, and it was actually, I think it's an important point maybe to take away from your overall experience in America is that that level of maybe forced positivity that I think some people might feel that they have to portray is you know you need to acknowledge when you're being real with yourself and and it is okay to actually try even though it's a big dramatic change like moving 5000 miles away from home for example is you should trust what you know to a degree of if it doesn't feel right just come home don't feel like because you've made that big change and because all your friends like want to look to you as being this aspirational person who's got like this dream scholarship it is actually okay to to not force that positivity and say actually it wasn't for me you know and i think if, yeah if i was in your position somebody who's like i say you know kind of you know young and coming out of whatever uni experience in one place with the opportunity to go to something else it's it's refreshing to know that it's not you know you, you went there and you just quit is you went there you acknowledge the changes and don't be afraid to to say actually this don't be afraid to me. basically say it doesn't work yeah, yeah absolutely it's okay yeah. not to be okay i yeah. mean i'm glad i did call it quits when i did because i was i was really um torn because obviously it took so much to get out there like that's what a lot of people don't see as well like there is so much stuff behind the scenes and you actually do have to put a lot of your own money into getting out there and yeah. like that big like financial commitment that I'd made all the hours that I'd spent filling in blinking NCAA eligibility forms and stuff like that and like all the times apply like trying to apply for the course because you have to do like personal statements and stuff like I, that was making me want to stay just because I'd put in so much time. Cost fallacy. <laughs> but I'm 
in a way glad I didn't because I mean they got a very short indoor season and then now they've have not been able to compete well, anymore yeah so. I was gonna say half the guys at Iona I don't know whether it's by choice or not but a lot of the British guys out at Iona are still there so you may have even been stuck in the US I know you're your housemate that's from Australia, she seems to be stuck out there a bit think, at the moment. I think so. she wants to be there. Maybe, her boy. Yeah. <laughs> there well, we go. Shall we? But, shall we move it? Shall we move it forward slightly and talk about maybe? Yes, we have some. We, I was going to say, I think this is a good place to move on to the Instagram questions, yes, followed by the final say. four. Yeah. that's that's where you were going. I didn't know if you had anything else to go. Yeah, no, no. All right, so we'll start off with uh, with the Instagram questions. I've got them written down here. I don't think you have them at all, Sam, because I forgot to send them to you. So. <laughs> sorry, Sam. We'll, no, uh, we'll fire away with these. Chime in where you feel necessary. You're covering oh, the mic there. <laughs> the <laughs> microphone was just being eaten over here. <laughs> um, okay, so the first Instagram question that we got is, how do you stay so motivated? I don't think I do. You don't think you? I I think you. I, you still run when you don't want to. Yeah, I think it's more out of habit. No, I, at the moment, obviously with quarantine, I think everyone is really having a lot of rough days. Um, but for me, like quarantine's actually come at a really good time because after I came back from Boise, I then got a knee injury which was annoying because I just felt like I'd started getting back into some sort of fitness before like that I had before I left and then yeah getting injured was not ideal um yeah so this track season probably would have been really hard for me to do mentally so it's kind of come at a good time and I'm staying motivated by just wanting to get back to where I was Okay. Chasing it slowly. So it's, yeah, you've got you like you've, pain. you've got, no, you've got pain. <laughs> okay, yeah, we have been sitting down for a while. So you think your motivation is basically just you're goal oriented, basically, like you want to. I wanna... don't want to embarrass myself when I get back to training at St Mary's. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so motivation to keep training is not to get dropped not... by training partners. Basically. Okay, well that's fair enough. No, I mean, what... We each have our own motivations. No, I feel like I am really like goal orientated person. I think you are. I think you. I think you undersell it as well. So I'll answer the question for you: is <laughs> that you set yourself goals, and like you say, sometimes they might be like people would say, "Oh, that's a bit lofty. That's a bit of a." No, but I always have steps to them. You do always have steps to them. Like, and always... what's most important as well in the context of this is that that goal motivates you to get the absolute most out of yourself whether mm-hmm. you don't quite reach it whether you reach it or whether you surpass it which you've done all three of those things you know it's just made me realize I used to have I used to do, use way more visualization than I do now yeah. I used to like on runs I don't know if you guys ever had this Sam you might have I think I know where you're going I think I do but... like you, when you're running and you get in the groove and you like literally start imagining like winning a race or something yeah, like, like the amount of times I've been mid-run and like oh this is what's going to feel like winning nationals to, or something to, <laughs> all to, the time, all to the chime time. in there yeah I cannot explain the amount of times especially in kind of like the December through sort of end of January phase where I was getting into the mindset of training for the marathon I couldn't tell you the amount of times I went round a corner and imagined it as birdcage walk the mall birdcage walk the mall I had that visualization so clearly in my head and now it's just been put back six months but yeah I understand (laughs) I understand exactly how you mean with that yeah I think a lot of people I think I'm losing because I'll be like smiling no but if cars driving past I'll be like smiling because I'm like yeah I'm winning I just think I'm really really nice just having a really lovely run (laughs) okay so the next instagram question that we got was what do you typically eat on race day so in the build-up to a race oh man this is so bad 
<laughs> I'm, cheese I'm so and jelly. awful. Cheese and jelly. Oh, hopefully not <laughs> together. No, I don't. I I just eat massive amounts of breakfast cereal. I'm an absolute fiend for cereal, so that would be where I get all my carbs from. Uh, yeah, well, as long as it's not Captain Crunch and you just like crash halfway just through, explode from the sugar. <laughs> you get to, yeah, exactly. I'm yeah, I'm so bad with um, eating on race day. So I had this really this is so TMI. On during track season, don't know what it is. I don't really get it in cross country. Probably don't try hard enough. Definitely don't try hard enough. <laughs> but I'm like sick after every single race, no matter how hard I've tried. Like I even am sick after heats. Like I've done a fifteen hundred heat before, and I was just horribly sick afterwards. So now when I before I race, I'm like so scared of being sick after the race that it really affects what I eat beforehand. So I only eat what I fancy. I like can't force feed myself anything. Like I used to have mayo, chicken mayo with like sweet corn sandwiches. I thought you were going to say like a McDonald's chicken no, mayo. No. <laughs> um, yeah, chicken and sweet corn sandwiches. And now I just like I can't do that. Like literally makes me gag. So I eat whatever I fancy, which sometimes is custard donuts, which has actually been that the sounds, pre-race food for great. breakfast a few times. That sounds- <laughs> hey, no, that's fine. That sounds perfect. You know, whilst we're on the subject of kooky foods to um to what? fuel <laughs> to fuel like performances, I suppose. I had a teammate at Iona once who had a three k and a, a, no, it was a mile in the kind of mid afternoon, and then a three k in the evening on the indoor race. Between those two races, he had two liters of Pepsi <laughs> and about four donuts from Dunkin' Donuts. Incredible. And I think maybe a coffee as well, like an iced coffee or something. So just goes to show like as long as you're fueled enough you're like, so regimented in what you eat i, I know so yeah so i'll yeah i'll take i'll take a little bit of a swing at this question as well um feel free to fast forward if you don't want to hear it <laughs> if, if you've tuned in to not hear me it's boring so for me it differs first of all on what time of day the race is because i race on the track and i race on the road quite a lot as well track races tend to be in the evening road races in the morning and it's so annoying with evening races i'm annoying with evening yeah. races yeah evening races i like to get my timings right because i don't like to eat too close to a race I and normally... by that he means like five hours he's fasting <laughs> pretty it's much ridiculous. yeah like, like i'd I... be starving honestly like i I'm like, like to an hour and like... a half beforehand i need some food i'm gonna be hungry on that start line that's why you're throwing up <laughs> <laughs> oh you just bend your head um yeah i like to feel kind of light on the start line of races and I will generally eat more if I'm racing further. And like this, this is what works for me. This might be completely right. This might be completely wrong. <laughs> I mean, I quite recently absolutely I can't think of a way to say it without swearing. But I did. I got my nutrition wrong for the big half, and I think that's part of a number of things that went wrong at that race. Because um, I just basically didn't eat enough carbs the night before, and that was a morning race. Hmm. So morning wow. races carb heavy meal the night before your pastas your rices that sort of thing and then just whatever you can on the morning of usually that's toast and banana or something like that evening races oh man like just a lot in the morning and at lunchtime for me um again quite carb heavy um you've gone into so much more detail than me i'm like custard donut <laughs> yeah no, i we'll switch back to you because yeah, you, you definitely there's definitely more detail to what you do well, well, what I was like gonna... for example Sorry, all I was going to say is just to jump in, think about one of the most 
famous performances in athletics history. I'm talking Usain Bolt, uh, 2008 and the 100. Uh, oh, was it chicken nuggets? Yeah, and he, 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 he had <laughs> yeah, some quote where he said, he, yeah, he literally just went to McDonald's like four hours before the race and loaded up on nuggets. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, Why you eat what you fancy? If I was racing in China, all I'd probably eat would be chicken nuggets leading up to the race as well, like chains, <laughs> McDonald's, stuff like that. Like, I ain't having no medium rare chicken the night before a race. No, you don't want to play <laughs> but, that. You don't want to play that game, yeah. do you? Oh, absolutely not. No, but no yeah. I, I from what I've heard of anyone who's been to China for competitions and things like that is like you're vegetarian for a week, basically, or however long you're there for. Yeah, to quickly just summarize my like evening races, carb heavy, the closer I get to the race, the more kind of simple and quick release carbs I tend to have. Usually have a coffee about three hours before and that usually sees me through. I'm usually pretty much starving. Um, <laughs> I'm never hungry after races. It's like two hours after a race, roughly. Then I'm just like, oh, man, like I need to eat like a whole bargain bucket or something. That's hilarious. But, but I do I do <laughs> like and fully endorse Emily's uh, Emily's nutrition method there is just eat what you fancy, mostly donuts. I can really get behind 100%. that. 100%. Really get behind 100%. that. Oh, One specific, me. you have a good specific though that what you you will avoid like it's been so food. long since I've raced. I don't <laughs> even know. <laughs> I know I have to tell you your own nutrition strategy. Oh yeah, that's you avoid acid. Yeah, you avoid so, things like citrus fruits and like tomatoes and things like yeah. that. Yeah, that was um. For, Nick actually told me to start doing that because of the whole sickness thing. Mm. Um, it was always pasta. Pasta, you should definitely make sure you eat. A lot longer before the race because past a two hours for a race it, it is does not point yeah. that's just going to be sat there in your I stomach. I can assure you of that. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, no, I avoid yeah like tomatoes and um, actually stuff with like high sugar in as well. So Lucasaid Sport is just not for me. No, me neither. Powerade though, British Powerade, not American Powerade. <laughs> Very different thing. How did you get on with Gatorade when you were in the states? I, it stained my hands. The bottle wouldn't <laughs> open. I got it with a knife. My only, just just to jump, just 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 to, just to jump in, and we should make this the last point because I don't um, before we move on to the next question because I don't want to go into one of our blabbering tangents again. But the last thing that I remember about American Gatorade was your teammate Kieran, who I think is half inch one of the or two of the big um, like five liter Gatorade syrups and had them under the sink, and we worked out it was like four bathtubs full of like the Gatorade you get in the shop. <laughs> yeah. oh that stuff gosh. was great. That fueled us for like an entire year. I'm not surprised. I also remember you had that enormous bucket of um of sweets like mini Kit Kats and Mars bars and things. That was great. Yes. Oh well, that was amazing. The story behind that is after Halloween, all of like the shops like Walmart and CVS and things like that, they have to just throw out all of their Halloween. You went dumpster and stuff. diving. We dumpster dove oh in CVS God. after Halloween, and I shit you not, we literally got a barrel of sweets like mini kit kats and like dime bars and stuff like that it was amazing it was poetry i think i think i've got a big picture of it um i think i've got a picture of it on my um photos from that trip actually just because it was (laughs) it was so it was enormous anyway we mustn't talk about snacks and nutrition too much because i'm sure we have more last thing on that is i'm Last thing quickly on that is I'm convinced that's why I didn't finish All-American that year. (laughs) I finished 44th. All-American is 40th. That happened like literally like three weeks before the race that we found all of that chocolate. (laughs) And we probably, I guess we just went a little bit too mad. And so, yeah, those extra like two pounds of chocolate weight that I gained in those three weeks during a taper as well. So minus miles plus chocolate equals 44th, not top 40. Anyway, we digress. Next question from the Instagram Instagram world was, 
what were your experiences of going to the US for uni? I think we're probably Although I do just want to say, I feel like I was really negative. Like, obviously did enjoy my time in America. It was a hard decision <laughs> to leave. And like, I, as a team, like, I, I did like my teammates. I feel like I've come across <laughs> that I didn't like my teammates. Yeah. No, no I, I mean, and Boise, I mean, I went there and visited you. Boise is a really nice place. Yeah, it's, it's, it just it's wasn't a lovely quite the right place. Fit. And like, if anyone's thinking of going there, then... I'll happily answer any questions because you'll get And I'll it. happily tell you to go to Iona instead. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it is a lovely place and a lovely part of the world. It is very... Um, Greenbelt's nice barren. and foothills <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, no, it's... It, the it's foothills bit... are amazing. I'm like, I wish I could just teleport to the foothills right now and just do those laps. But mm. yeah. anyway... Next one we've got, it's not really much of a question. The next two aren't really questions, or three. <laughs> we've got Ipswich Twilight Road Races being cancelled. Sad face. That, that is sad face. I love the Ipswich Twilight Road Races. I don't know about you. Me too. It's very fast. I ran, um, didn't do it last year because I think I was ill, wasn't I? I went and watched you. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was that or you just couldn't be honest. No, I think I was ill. There was something going on. Or, yeah, there was something. There was a niggle. Mick told me no, so... Yeah. You still anyway. got your little appearance then. Yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> you didn't anyway. your appearance fee, but you did your appearance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took the fee. <laughs> um, no, I ran I ran 16.52 on the track on the Wednesday and then went to the Ipswich Twilight 5K on the Saturday and ran exactly the same time. So it is as quick as a track. Exactly. When uh, generally, yeah, generally most road race courses aren't aren't as quick as the track yeah. and this was in the year before bouncy shoes as well so the year before bouncy yeah shoes. there we go <laughs> literally yeah the year before um let's not but yeah get no i mean shoes. we're not going to get onto them that's it that's they just have to have a mention at some point yeah, i'm it's sad the rules that... of the podcast we haven't spoken about boxing yet but it's coming i'm sure well do you know what it's really, um, it's really funny actually because I, I will just jump in and say that i thought about uh kind of an analogy we're also talking about training earlier i thought the only thing i can think of in my mind is a boxing one but i thought that's way too early to shoehorn that one in <laughs> <laughs> well usually we're straight from the gun so we've actually done well to hold off um to hold off this long yeah but well anyway next instagram question what have we got shin splints help if a physio's told you you have shin splints then they're not a real physio because that's not a real thing <laughs> <laughs> brutal okay. keep it at that i like it no it's true shin splints don't <laughs> exist okay so the next one we've got benefits of gaining weight as a runner i mean what are your thoughts on this we could get we could do a whole podcast on this i mean we'll- well, my gestation wasn't about this, but I had to do a lot of research into this sort of thing because my dis research was on the menstrual cycle and how the pill affects that. And one of the things of the pill is actually gaining weight. Mm-hmm. One of the a lovely side effects that we have to endure. But so Lucky gaining ladies. weight as a runner, like, I don't really know, like, how to put it. Like, if you're underweight, then gaining weight as a runner is positive. It's going to help your performance. Yeah. And it's... But, in the short term it might not and that's the thing i feel like people have this whole thing that oh if you're a healthy weight it's going to make you run faster like straight away but it's not you've got to adapt obviously in the long term that is the ideal situation but i think when like this whole sort of thing is that if you you're underweight and you gain weight it's going to improve your performance straight away like it kind of sets girls up for expecting that and then when they gain the weight and their performance doesn't increase straight away it's almost they, like an incentive to then really yeah it kind weight. of yeah. um but yeah like i'm not 
a clinician, so I'm not gonna no. No, and I think go too deep into it. I would. I just would want to jump in there just just for a moment and and kind of say something along the lines of, I don't think I I find that really tough because. I've noticed with my own weight is I've stopped going to the gym like and lifting weights. I've predominantly focused on running really now for the best part of the last two years. Like I just haven't kind of bulked up in the same way that I have. But my weight, if I actually weigh myself, I haven't lost as much weight as I think I would have. Like I look at myself mm-hmm. and I visually look much thinner. And I weighed myself on the scale and I thought to myself like, geez, I've not actually lost any weight. And I, I, almost, I ended up almost questioning myself over it. I was like, well, Surely I should have lost some weight. Like I'm not nearly the size <laughs> I used to be. Like muscle mass. And that, that yeah, might... what well, do you know? How many people are now going to be being like, "Oh, muscle weighs more than fat"? Uh, like <laughs> listening to this, saying that to themselves in their head. Yeah, uh, cool. and they are to a certain degree. They are right with you. Like you've developed, you've replaced your kind of bulk strength muscle with lean functional running muscle. Yeah, but then what I was going to say is, and and certainly talking about the the pressure on, especially young girls, as an example, is that I think it's really important for you to say what you said which is like don't give it too much of a thought there's no i like running is not a weight focused thing it's not like say yeah yeah you know but it's not like it needs it's not like it got weight categories you look at runners they come in various different shapes and sizes and i was astounded like we made jokes when i did my 10k at snetterden i sort of targeted out somebody individually who i didn't think looked like a runner based on his physique but he went and ran like a 37 something time for a 10k which is clearly a great time. So, mm-hmm. it's yeah, I I think it's really important that you've kind of acknowledged that question as like a young as a you know as a young lady who sometimes was a young forward. lady. No, but you know what I mean. You, you <laughs> Try and within, sound older, well, yeah. No, but do you know what I mean? Is you fall within that maybe vulnerable demographic of people who sometimes get they they get almost singled out for that, and they and they, they're the ones that sometimes you know overthink it and if you then apply that to something like sport when you've got tactics you've got training you've got all these other elements to think about i think it's really important that you can acknowledge it and just say actually don't like don't worry about it it's never something i've given a thought to and obviously the level that you've performed at shows that if you haven't panicked about it then people who are performing at any other level don't need to either well the thing with (laughs) with female runners like your weight like it doesn't it's it's not going to impact your performance like really if unless you're you're, training properly no unless you're unless you're you're so underweight that you've lost your menstrual cycle that is like the negative part like you can be skinny you can be not skinny like as long as you're healthy and your body is healthy then like Ailish McColgan always posts about this doesn't she how people Mm -hmm. like target her a lot because she like is very slim but like as long as her body is healthy and it's functioning correctly inside, then like you can't like it's just being judgy, isn't it? So yeah, well, here's here's what I think is first of all, I think it's vastly different between males and females. I the whole weight think issue. Men have a really. I don't like the word lean, and I feel like that comes into women's sport too often because men yeah, use it so often. That's what I mean. It's yeah, and it, when it needs to in, be yeah. they need to be separate. I think men's women shouldn't be lean (laughs) and women's weight in sports and the physical appearance of how they look for the same sport even i don't know if that just cut out because we just dropped the headphones (laughs) we dropped the mic mic. um 
I think they just need to be separated out. I think when you talk about race weight, race weight for me is kind of a trigger because I think it's stupid. It but if you don't if you must weight. if you must talk about it, I think you should separate it for males and females. Wait, and gonna... first of all, my and like the second point and that's the last thing that I really want to say on the topic is I have no idea what my quote unquote race weight is. I have no idea what my current weight is. I have no idea what my rest week where I just I don't weigh myself because I don't care. If you're training hard and you're eating right and you're refueling and recovering and you're putting in mileage, like your weight, your natural weight is is just going to find itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't try and hit the only numbers you should be trying to hit is a position in a race or a time on the track. Like you shouldn't be trying to hit numbers with your weight. No, absolutely not. And like actually, I've just found something on my PowerPoint that told the athletes that I spoke to so with comparing like men and women together so with uh, females it's all about our body fat percentage that should be like obviously body fat does influence your weight and that's how like when you're underweight like it's usually because your body fat is too low for, so for women if you have a body fat below 15% then it means that your body might start to not function properly and um, so that's like coming into the female triad and like breads and everything which we would go on to, but oh if we, yeah, if we had yeah, two hours or three time. hours, we could do another whole <laughs> episode. Follow fit our woman. There you go. Yeah. Um, but the the average man, like the average fit man, has like fifteen percent body fat. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like a, so a fit guy, like Sam, that's just a guy that goes to like, the gym versus an elite female. Or well, actually, they're at the level that would be borderline for dangerous for yeah. a female. Yeah. So men have such a different, like, body fat range to women. And it's just, yeah. And again, we've got two international runners here and neither of us have a clue what our body fat percentage is. I I mean, I do because I've had a DEXA scan Ah. and it comes up on on the scan. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) I I think I understand what you mean, though, is from, to to summarise this point, is I think it's really important to just say, like, your day-to-day stuff, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even give it a second thought and because running yeah. is and because running is not a sport where you need to weigh in and you don't need to make a weight class why yeah why worry about it in a race if you don't worry about it at any other point exactly yeah to be fair, i do weigh myself but it's more to make sure i'm not losing weight do you get, it's the opposite like, end of the scale it's, it's making it's, sure you're not too light rather than trying to become light yeah because sometimes when you are like in a in a training block like sometimes it is easy to like not fuel properly and like just do it accidentally or just especially in the summer when it's hot and you just don't i don't know i just don't feel like eating in the summer as much (laughs) it's when it's warm and sweaty do you get what i mean so i just make like i only weigh myself to make sure i'm not losing weight but that's because i know i can do it in that way like if you're focusing too much on the scales then don't step on them yeah so to broadly answer the question (laughs) benefits of gaining weight as a runner who cares let your body do what it needs to do (laughs) right so we've only got a couple of more instagram questions and then we'll move on to our our final four and then we'll stop boring people so we've got the next instagram question tell us about your road to recovery and the mental challenges you faced i mean should we assume that this is your road to recovery after your knee problem or i mean my life's just a big problem (laughs) (laughs) damn that got dark that got got real deep it's not i'm joking um, this one was actually from my guy Dylan, who right. So Dylan, I've never met Dylan before, but he messaged me probably like 
two years ago on Instagram saying that he follows me from South Africa and he's been following my athletic journey and just like to keep doing what I'm doing. And honestly, he he always sends me like positive messages and they, they do Your just make fan. my day. He is honestly my biggest fan and it's great because, yeah. So he'll, he'll go on see... then, let's, let's just talk about in general the road to recovery. What like mentality do you usually have when you're coming back from an injury or a See, I've a, never a had a crazy bad injury though. The whole like, the only problem with this one was obviously coming back from America and having to try and adapt life again. Mm. Like at home, I haven't lived at home for three years. But my mindset changes based on like where it is. Like some injuries I absolutely, when um, I had a, a nerve problem in my knee before before Bucks track when I was defending the old title. <laughs> but um yeah and I was in font and I was hammering cross training like I was doing a session whether it was running or a bike session every single day because I could still session somehow not really sure but um yeah but if it's in another time like well I was just I was doing some, some swimming wasn't I this time yeah yeah it just depends I think I, the, the I think well, I was going to say, I think the biggest motivation for you is going back to how goal-oriented you are. And it's yeah. whether you, if you have a goal that's tangible and that's near or that's just something that you're working towards that is kind of enough of a, enough to kind of bait you into cross-training hard, like you can go really kind of mad for it. If not, then it's harder to get motivated. So yeah. I'd say... If I got injured now, I'd definitely just sit in bed for however long it takes for it to go. <laughs> yeah. So the mental challenges you face, I guess, is just you need to set yourself the right goals to have as stepping stones towards yeah, I'm the, I'm where you the eventually want to be after you get back. I think, right. Yeah, I don't I, th- I think you do an okay job. I mean, I'm kind of similar. Whenever I get injured, I just prioritise rest, which isn't always the yeah, right thing to do. Yeah, that is, um, if you're suffering, I actually wrote a blog on this. I don't know if it still exists because I haven't posted, but I, I did eight things to remember when you're injured. And one of them was to still keep your rest days because a lot of people, they think, oh, like I'm not running, so I don't need rest days. And I'm going to cross train hard. <laughs> but like you still need to fuel and you still need to rest. Yeah. And, and remember that you got injured probably because you weren't resting enough. So mm-hmm. give your body a chance to chill out. Anyway, there we go. That's comebacks. Instagram questions. Last one. What sessions do you do for a 3K steeple? Okay, so let's just say, give us like, two examples of your favorite like steeplechase sessions that you do see i don't really do steeplechase sessions over the barriers so um yeah no i i just for steeple how i train because i well because i was training at st mary's and they're so busy like you can't just get hurdles out so i just train as if i'm training for a 5k and do like 5k specific sessions and then like pre-race we'll do some like more specific barrier work i can't actually remember what the session is but my favorite um 2k session is a mile flat and then it's four by 500 over hurdles of two minutes recovery that's probably my favorite one to do that's okay so that's yeah that's your favorite steeple specific one and then the rest of your training that's my my pre-bucks one that is all giving away them pre-bucks secrets i mean i won't be doing another one (laughs) (laughs) well nobody's doing one this year so (laughs) Yeah, never mind. Um, I think the the whole philosophy of, yeah, if you just train for the 5K, get as strong as you can and get, be efficient over the barriers. You don't have to do steeple-specific kind of sessions. And also, for most people, if you look at the 
pace as in like per lap for example so mm-hmm. if you're talking about an elite male for example their 3k steeple pace is often about the same as their 5k pace maybe a lap or a second or two per lap slower so yeah so I if mean, you've got an elite male steeplechaser similar. that's running 8 15 that's 65 per, or 66 per lap mm-hmm. so there'd be about a 30 that 66 per lap is about 1345 you'd imagine there'd be about 1320 runner that's 64 per lap about two seconds difference yeah, I mean, I can't do the maths you. that quickly. So, well, you're <laughs> <laughs> mine. I know mine doesn't equate because it would mean I was running sub ten, which I'm it's not. roughly <laughs> it's roughly it's not as far away as you think. Okay. It's about two seconds a lap difference. That's quite a lot on the grand scheme of things. No, but anyway. that's, I'm saying it's about two seconds a lap different. Your five k is generally about two seconds a lap quicker than your steeple pace. Okay, okay. There we go. <laughs> anyway, on. we've we've gone on to a tangent. Right, Sab, do you want to take over and do our final four questions or do you do you not have them to hand? Do you know what? I honestly don't I honestly don't think I can remember all of them. I remember the No, I know it's been so long. I had to write them down. Yeah, it has been so long. I can remember the first one though. Maybe we can try and stagnate them and say um I can't remember if we had an order. I remember that one of them was design your ideal relay team. Uh, there we go. My favourite one. I was hoping you'd wait a bit longer because I don't actually know. <laughs> yeah, you're uh, yeah, your dream DMR team. I literally don't even know what order a DMR team goes in. Right, and probably <laughs> half our listeners probably either don't know or have forgotten as well. So it starts off with a 1,200-metre leg, okay. which then hands over to a 400-metre. They hand over to an 800-metre runner, and then they finish off with a mile or a 1,600-metre leg. Oh, man. So here we go. We'll, we'll go through it step by step. 1,200, who are you having on that? <laughs> I honestly don't know. The rules, remember, as well, for those who are listening, is you can have literally anybody throughout history – they don't even have to be a sports person. Oh. Any human in history, you could have like. We'll even include like mythical people that don't. You could have like Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> you can have the god Zeus if you want. You can, hmm. have, you can have Barney the purple dinosaur. Yeah, exactly. Can I just make a Game of Thrones? You can do a Game well, of Thrones that's, DMR. That's, that's, yeah, that's a cool idea. Let's roll. I like with that. that. I like that's that a good thing. Okay, first leg is twelve hundred. Did you say? Yeah. Oh, my Alexa's talking to us. Oh, yeah, we just opened the book Alexa. Um, hmm. 1200. Oh, I don't know, really. The Kingslayer. Jamie Kingslayer Lannister on the 1200, okay. 12, on the 1200 yeah. Then what is it? Then it's 400. Oh, so well, obviously. Carl Drogo, he's meaty, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I like that. Mm, I'm trying to think of people who fight because they have to run, don't they? Oh, wait, what's the, what's the longest leg? Is the mile um, sixteen hundred? Gendry, he ran from the. I can't believe you're not going to have Arya on the on the mile. She'll be the last one. She's a ninja. She'd take anybody on. Nah, nah. She she's our she's our anchor. Okay. Yeah, um, Gendry because he ran from like. Wait, the anchor is the mile. Oh. What what am I doing then? <laughs> so you're on the eight hundred oh, at the okay. moment. Ari's I know who I'd have on the eight. Arya's on the eight. Okay. And then Gendry can be on the the last one. Nice. Only changes I'd make, I'd bump Arya up to the 16 and then I'd stick Brienne of Tarth on the 8 because nah. I think she could run a mean 800. Nah. No? Okay. Like Fair enough. Okay, so there's our Game of Thrones DMR. <laughs> Sam, do you have anything to add to that? Do you, I don't think you've seen Game of Thrones, have you? No, I haven't. I'm not a Game of Thrones person, so I can't. I uh, know, oh, blasphemous. I can't Can't join them on that one. That's okay. We'll do, we'll do another themed DMR at some point. We'll do like a Simpsons themed one or something. Oh, that would be fun. That's good. Not now, though. Move on, move on. No, no, not now. We are going to talk about this afterwards, though. Next question. Okay, so is 
uh, we'll go back up to the top. So what is your proudest athletic achievement? doesn't have to be in running. What? <laughs> yeah, so like some people, like you could be a world-class runner, but like maybe you can dunk a basketball and you're just more proud of that than you are running like a four-minute mile. I can't dunk a basketball. You can't Although, run a mile either, I can so. shoot from behind, can't I? I can do it you my can, yeah, no, you've got a good reverse shot. Very yeah. good at that. Um, actually, no, my proudest athletic achievement was probably my when I came second at English schools. I like cry. The guy afterwards, you know, you have little Marshall people. Yeah, yeah he was. He turned to me. He was like, "Are you happy or sad?" Because I was literally like bawling my eyes out. <laughs> I was like, "I'm so happy." <laughs> yeah, I'd never won a medal. At nationals or ever thought i would before so your then. first so, your first national medal that's your proudest yeah, i like that I no was I, I think crying so my eyes out <laughs> <laughs> nice i thought you'd i thought you'd either say that one or you'd say winning the 5000 at nationals oh that was just a really fun race <laughs> yeah that was cool that was that's one of the we should have included that in our best races to watch of all time podcast. Sorry, you didn't make the cut. It was an awesome race to watch. You came from like the depths of hell to, to win in the last fifth one fifty. It is on Vinco. There you go. What what's it called? It's three A's under twenty three. Two thousand eighteen. Two thousand eighteen five K. Yeah, there we go. So have a look if you want to watch it. It is a good race. Okay. Uh your favorite shoe to run in? Um, I mean, they're not my favourite, but they're the only ones that don't hurt me. The Peg 35s, which have, I think have been discontinued now. So I'm like, <laughs> don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, if anyone knows how to get hold of those, um, please hit us up. Let us anyone know. who's <laughs> Nike sponsored and just has them sitting around, send them my way. What, what size are you? I'm a size five and a half. <laughs> <laughs> size five and a half. DM for the, for the address. All right. Cool. So Peg 30, what was it? Peg 35. 35s. 35s. I should know that off the top of my head, but yeah. either way. Right, Sam, what's our last question? Because I feel like we're just ignoring you here. No, it's all good. It's all good. Our last question, and it is the immortal one, is do you think you could <laughs> beat up Kipchoge in a fight? How tall is he? Do you even know? You're know probably not much shorter than him. I have it in my head hmm. that he's maybe a fraction taller than I actually think he is. I think he's maybe like five foot seven, five foot eight, something like that. Just I would, yeah, I would Alexa. wager five six or five seven. No, no, don't ask Alexa. <laughs> Hold on, I've got, I've got my phone on. We will Google. Well, it. if he's if he's under five five, I back myself. But if not, but then five, he'll, five he'll be in be those close. shoes, won't he? So. I've got one hundred and sixty seven meters. Oh, I'm, 160. I'm one hundred and sixty. You're one one point six seven meters. He's not that close. much heavier than me. I back myself. I'm going for it. Oh, yeah, you reckon you could take him down? Yeah. I can't run away, so I might as well stand my ground. <laughs> That's a good. My set. concern is he might have like some kind of martial arts training, or his movement might be superior. Nah. No. All right, there we go. <laughs> oh, is, it. is it? Are you taking him on in a street fight, or like a boxing match, or like judo, or something? A boxing with gloves and the head thing, because my mouth hurt my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There we go. There it is. Um, I don't think that we have anything else really to discuss then no i think other than the fact that you could beat up kipchoge <laughs> no i think that's been a great summary and it's been good to it's been great to have a yeah, female perspective on sport and some of the journeys that you go through especially kind of through learning the sport and then taking a big jump as in going to america and and you know committing to something and then maybe moving around i think your whole journey is a really good one for people that are kind of in a similar demographic to you to listen to yeah definitely and i think if anyone is a good inspiration for kind of young club runners that are competing at kind of a county level and are kind of thinking like oh but like maybe i'll never make it to 
X, Y, or Z level, and you've you've been through literally every single stage of performance in the sport. I mean, yeah, the first cross country I did was like half. It wasn't even the full county it was half the county and I came 95th and I was third (laughs) from my school and I was so happy that I'd just come third from my school and like there you go not even the best in the school to then being the best in the country not not a cross country god no No, (laughs) but like to then I mean you made a great you made a British team in cross country no matter what anyone says (laughs) exactly (laughs) well like I say brilliant and touching and a great story just to share overall but I think that's probably more than enough time for us to to say thanks again so thank you again to everyone for listening we are back we will try I emphasis on try to make this a slightly more regular fixture again and (laughs) and yeah hopefully next time we can yeah maybe we can start to get some more framework back in our lives for when normality might resume I feel like it's that might be the next discussion that we have about when events are coming back. Never. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I I don't envision them there being much for the rest of the year, but yeah, we'll we'll come up with different things to talk about, even if it's just review of more kind of running history and me teaching you a bit of a history lesson whilst we record it. I mean, I had fun doing those. I had a lot of fun doing this as well. Um, we definitely need more female guests on the podcast because it definitely does skew male. Definitely. <laughs> um, definitely. It's been, I, I will add as well as a note, it's been very strange to have our guest right here next to me. <laughs> We're literally sharing a microphone and we've got one headphone each in to, <laughs> to listen to you. So this has been a new experience for me. Hopefully it doesn't come across as too um, too chatty or weird or, or whatever. Hopefully it comes across all right. Um, yeah, it's been weird not having you as well, Sam. I miss you. Oh, I miss you. Aww. I miss you too, mate. Well, on that, on that, on that last note, everyone say goodbye, and we can all cuddle each other uh, the next time we see everyone. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we'll right. we'll send each other virtual hugs for now. Virtual hugs. <laughs> and that those virtual hugs extend to you too, listeners as well. So always do feel free Absolutely. to get in touch. You can ask us questions via Instagram. You can leave us a review. You can talk to us about what you want us to blabber on next. But thanks again for listening, and we will be back soon. Thank you. See you later, guys. Stay safe. Don't eat bats. (laughs) 